Hello, and welcome back once again to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, my guest is Emma Claire Davis. She's a transformative coach and the owner of Reconnect Weekends. Emma, welcome. Thank you very much, Marcus. It's a pleasure to be here. Today, we're going to be talking about what people really want to do rather than what they think they should be doing, where their feelings coming from, who are we really as people. So we're going to look at identity and role. We're going to look at how our context affects us, but how we actually have choices to respond or react. We're going to look at some blind spots. So we're going to look at the belief that everything that you experience is as a result of what goes on outside. And we're going to be discussing that this really isn't the case. It's how you choose to respond. It's always a choice. And it's often an abdication of responsibility. That tends to lead to a belief that in order to be safe and successful, you have to show results externally. So again, is your motivation extrinsic or intrinsic? And we're also going to be looking at the causes and contributions to overstress, work, um, overwork, burnout, divorce, and various other things. So that hopefully in the next six months, you'll take what you learn and implement it in order to prevent burnout and just become a better human being, be present. So without any further ado, Emma, would you give us a couple of minutes on your history and what qualifies you to talk about all this stuff that I've been waffling on about? <laughs> Thank you very much, Marcus. So I'm a coach who runs a retreat company that helps business and sales leaders to sleep better at night and get better results. Back in the day, I was a classic overachiever. So I learned from a very early age what you were just talking about, Marcus, to get my sense of recognition from outside of myself in order to feel that I was okay. And that's exhausting. So probably many of you listening to this now can, can resonate with that. It's a common pattern that I see in business founders and leaders. Now, I tried all sorts of things, a ton of things, CBT, counseling, hypnotherapy, NLP, emotional intelligence, gestalt, family constellations. I trained as a coach and I was using a variety of tools and techniques to help people to achieve their objectives and feel better. And then in my late 20s, I started meditating and went on a, on a number of um, Tibetan Buddhist retreats as well. Now, the thing is, even when I was meditating for half an hour every morning, having my little routines, meditating, exercising, etc., I would still get up and spend the rest of the day running around and overthinking things. <laughs> Until 2018, when I came across a paradigm shift in psychology that helps people to connect to the best version of themselves without having to depend on all of these techniques. Okay. Now, it's a subtractive understanding Lovely. that takes away all of your excess thinking mm. and allows you to actually be present. So there's all this talk, isn't there, of be present, be present. You know, it's become sort of a cliche of our time. And this is about actually falling into that presence. And of course, this is vital for any sales or business conversation to go successfully. And yeah, I also love anything creative. I'm a singer, composer and poetry lover. Lovely. Okay. I think that I'm going to take this in a slightly different direction because I'm a classic overthinker and have the inability to switch off. Yeah. Um, the audience tends to like it when I'm the subject of ridicule and uh, suffering. So. I think what would be really interesting is if we use me as the case study here, then just dive in as you would with a client 
Um, I'll ask questions along the way, no doubt, because I have a tendency to do that. But I think what's going to be really interesting is maybe if you introduce us to your framework, your structure, yep. so that we can start with that. And then what's the outcome that we can expect by going through this process? Okay, so when you say, Marcus, that you have an inability to switch off, <clears throat> can you think of a time when you have switched off or a time that you felt that you were really present, really in flow, could be at work, it could be a moment when you were doing something completely different? I can think of times when I'm at work, but then when I met not meant to be at work, my mind is still worrying and thinking about work or the next idea, and I'm constantly buzzing. But in work, you know, I've done two coaching sessions this morning already. Yeah. And both of those, I was in flow. I was fully present. I could see where the conversation was going. Yeah. My mind was thinking um, you know, 12 steps ahead because I've done it so many times before. And what I was really looking for were the responses. So I was then looking at their physiological response, their yep. uh, how they were reacting. But I, I'm not doing it consciously now because I've trained them yeah. back. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you were completely present in those coaching sessions. You were in a yeah. state of flow, yeah. which I'm going to argue is our natural state as human beings. Although it's not the most normal state, we right. often find ourselves doing what you just mentioned, which is worrying after the fact. Yeah. It's very interesting that you have that experience, that natural experience, and then it's after that you tend to be thinking about something which doesn't need to be thought about anymore because it's already done. Mm, I don't know. I'm just interested in the constant learning. I, we, we've been going through a rebranding exercise. And what we've realized is that I do this so that I can learn. It's not for the money. And the coaching is satisfying in and of itself. And yes, we need to make a living. But the satisfaction comes from the interaction with other human beings. And I always learn from my coaching sessions with other people. So the more I can do that, the happier I am. Yeah, cool. So what what is it that what would success look like for you then if you're happy with the coaching and it sounds like you're sort of arguing that the wearing after does have a place? What is it that you want? I love the learning. So I catch myself having a thought in the middle of watching a program. They'll say something and then I'll have to write it down and then I'll yeah. run it through the AI, which uh, appears that I'm not terribly present. But I mean, I'm just thinking about something that interests me. But it doesn't mean that I'm necessarily connecting with the people that I'm with. Okay. So what what you what you love is the learning. And what do you see then is an obstacle to you learning at the moment, if that's what you uh, want? There's not enough time in the day and sleep. <laughs> it, okay. It, it, I mean, it is constant. It's It's obsessive. I've constantly got more questions. And that's the problem. When you get good at asking questions, they lead to more questions. Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting for me, then, what you've said already, is that those questions seem to, or those ideas, just come to you when you're in a state of, of relaxation. Like, you're not necessarily, like, desperately trying to find the answers to the questions. They will come to you. No, but I'm normally thinking like that. And so, you know, my, my mind is constantly making connections, and I'll hear something, and it'll trigger another thought, and then I'll ask a question, and I'll... So it's iterative, the yeah. learn. yeah. Yeah, so I'm not, I'm not seeing here what the problem is because you're already doing what you want to do. Because extrinsically it comes across as that I'm not being present and that has a react impact on others, which I'm concerned about. So I would like to, ah. to switch that off 
and compartmentalize and say, right, now now is downtime. Don't play with your phone. Got it. But I still have a thought going on in my head because it's busy. Right. Okay. So what you really want then is to be more present with other people. Why? Yes. If I'm being honest, largely because they want me to, when I'm stuck in my head, I'm perfectly happy and lost. But it means that I'm being selfish. And I think in a family or with friends, you know, it's poor social etiquette. Maybe I'm worrying about the extrinsic here, but it doesn't make them feel valued. Hmm. Now, that's their choice, but I also have to be pragmatic about the fact that their emotions result in their behavior and I have to live within that context. Ooh, it all sounds very complicated to me here, Marcus. I don't, well, I don't think it is. I, I, think, I think if I can just not pick up the phone when we're meant to be doing something else or I can not be constantly asking probing questions but I just don't seem to be able to switch that off is is that what you want though because what I'm hearing is I'm doing it because they want me to do it I'm doing it because they what do you really want so if so let's I, imagine like to to still do it without causing them upset <laughs> and when you say still do it you mean be on your phone? You mean thinking no, about whatever? Thinking is a playground for me. It's not work. You know, I, I, when I get paid, it, it's a bonus because every day I'm thinking about stuff that really interests me and deeper and deeper I can go into it. Yeah. Um, and the more nuanced and the more I can see the interconnectedness of all these different systems that, you know, I, I play in the world of wicked problems. Yeah. Um, and it's never done. The work, the work is never finished. The learning is never finished, which okay. is problematic when I'm trying to balance my normal life. How, how, so right now, how does that feel in your body when you're, when you're saying that sentence, like this work is never finished, I'm trying to balance normal life? Does that feel it tight? Feels exciting. No, it doesn't. It, it feels energizing. It feels exciting. It feels like there's uh, another gem that's just around the corner and um, uh, another epiphany, another insight, something else that I can use, uh, another way I can help. I mean, why would you not want more? Yeah, no, that's fun. That's the nature of life. So yeah. what, we're look- what we're looking at here is that the way our reality is created is from the inside. Yeah. And so we're constantly creating our moment-to-moment experience. Right. And that is where all of our fresh ideas come from. And we can rely on that happening, whether or not we are actually in active thinking mode. So there is a difference between you sitting with someone you care about or sitting with someone else and consciously going around in your mind, okay, I'm thinking about this and da, 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 da. And actually being in that conversation, being present with that person and an idea just comes to you. They're two, two different things. You can't control your thoughts, can you? Where does the thought come from? No idea. Often it's, I think, a, a, a list, a, a series of connections um, and moments, and then they trigger an epiphany or an idea. Certainly for me, I'll often connect the seemingly unconnected, but it'll, um, I'll, I'll see a parallel. And yeah. that is just so exciting. Getting you know, 50 or 100 of those a day is quite compelling. Yeah, which which shows about shows the enormous potential of our human mind, like mm. the power that there is behind it. It's incredible. The fact that the amount of stuff I've piled into my brain and it doesn't even feel close to being even half full. And this is this is curious because so you mentioned, you know, everything I think must have come from a previous connection. 
have you ever had the experience where you thought something completely new, where something's come into your head and you're like, where the, did that come from? Yeah. And then I go out and read and the bloody Medici's beat me to it or fucking Aristotle. And it really pisses me off because what I'm really good at is derivative synthesis. If I've ever created anything original, it's by mashing together some other really good ideas. Now, I may have come up with them much like the uh, monkeys with a typewriter independently. But uh, for the last five years, I've been pulling together this defense system against what I think is coming in terms of a big crash. And I've been pulling together different questioning models, different therapeutic models, different philosophies, different psychology, psychological models. And I've been connecting all these things in order to create a mechanism to allow me to understand how to cut out the clutter and the crap. Because like you said earlier on, most of it is subtractive. Most of what I do is around helping people to eliminate the frustration, the friction, the conflict that they uh, don't have to have and uh, waste their time on low-value behaviors so they can spend it on high-value activities and stuff they want to do that moves them forward. Yeah. And when you do that, you can get four or 500% increase in productivity almost yeah. overnight. Yeah, 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 exactly. So it sounds like there's there's a lot of, I mean, what you're mentioning here is you're looking for the subtractive but you're going at it through the additive, which is looking at all these different models. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a, there's a weighing down there. Okay. So am I redeemable, first of all? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, this is what we're looking at. So let's just, just slow it down for a minute. You said that you have an idea, you have an epiphany, and then you go out and you see what's already been written. And which for me, if you find something that's come to you has already been said by Aristotle is the is showing the power of the universal mind. Like what can come to us through human consciousness? It doesn't mean like, oh, it's already been thought of, so it wasn't original in me. It was original in you in that moment. However, there feels like there's a need for you in order to put it within a model, put it within a different system. And you don't need that because you've already got this universal power of mind, which is giving you these epiphanies. And it's actually very simple. And then we complicate it, Mm. which reminds me of what you were saying earlier about when you're in your coaching sessions and it's very simple, you're in flow, uh, you're reading the cues, you're asking the right questions, it's going, it's flowing. And then you get out of the session and, you're, and, you're, and then you're worrying, as you were saying. And at the beginning, it sounded like the worrying was something a little bit negative. You were saying it was something you're not sure about. And sometimes it can be, you get some ideas. Great. There's a difference between the worrying that is the, you know, obsessing and analyzing and this and that and and not realizing what you've already got. And just, hey, I've had a new idea, which is universal mind giving you what you need when you need it. Right. Okay. I I understand that. The, The challenge that I have really is that in the moment where I, I, I'm meant to be with somebody just being social, my mind continues to go whirring off. And I I don't mind it. In fact, I'm quite happy with it because I'm interested. And it's, it's for, for me, it just feels like the most natural thing to do. But it's tiring for other people around me. And I'd like, to, I'd love to be able to not be a drain on them and for them to feel like I was present. Sorry, Marcus, but how do you know? Just very curious about how you know it's a drain me. on other people. Okay, what do they say? 
turn off your phone. Why aren't you present? Why do you keep asking questions? Uh, what else do you say? None of that. No? Just turn off your fucking phone. <laughs> <laughs> you see, it's simpler than you're making it out. Well, there you go. Just turn off the phone. But meanwhile, I'm still thinking of stuff and I, I don't, I want to then carry on with it because I'm interested in it. So finding that balance. Wait, so, so Marcus, when was the last time that you were completely present and at peace and just fulfilled in the moment? 100%. Uh, that happens almost every time I'm on a call with a client or right. and I'm doing my research. Uh, when we went walking, we were on holiday um, and uh, we were on long walks when we were in Edinburgh at the, the festival fully present so what's the okay. difference what's what's the difference between that and well I, th- I think my version of fully present is I'm fully present in my head I'm not necessarily fully present <laughs> <in other people. sighs> uh, okay so this is like we, we, we're trying to dissect what we're trying to define what being fully present means which again <laughs> is is causing tension it's uh, the minds need to label and categorize everything right now, well, yeah. what, I'm seeing, what I'm seeing from you, though, is uh, all of these pacifying moves where you're rubbing your leg, uh, which makes, again, is telling me that I'm creating tension in the, uh, the situation. So I'm, wor- I'm concerned about that now. Okay, cool. So if you can realize right now that, so you think that your worry and your concern is coming from me rubbing my leg. No, it's just a clue that's telling me that maybe I need to be aware that I'm creating a condition and it's not the one that I intended. Right. I want you to be comfortable. I want you to be uh, able to open up and talk about the stuff that you do. And I don't feel like I'm giving you that uh, that space. Yeah. So that's right now what you're experiencing. If you're what, what what are you feeling? What's the feeling that goes along with that? Slight concern because I want you to be comfortable. But I want the show to be interesting as well. Yeah. And so there's that concern going on. As, but equally, what I'm really interested in is the learning part, because now this is the, the, you know putting me in a, an uncomfortable place and it's forcing me to reflect, which is my favorite place. Yeah. So can you see how much is going on right now, Yeah. which is taking you away from being fully present right here, right now with what is actually happening, which is me speaking using my voice and we're having a conversation so you're sort of creating a second level around that which is a a level of concern is she comfortable is the show going to be good can you can you see that can you distinguish okay yeah okay cool yeah and now to you it looks like that feeling of concern is coming from what is happening what is happening right now in this conversation? It's coming from me rubbing my leg or it's coming from whatever I'm saying or I'm not saying. Yeah, my, my wife's standing in the corner look, looking at me and uh, intently in this conversation. So yeah. yeah, okay, exactly. So it looks like, and it really, really like, let's just slow this down. It really looks like that's where your discomfort is coming from in this moment. It's coming yeah. from that because this is happening. The reality of what is happening is that your discomfort or your worry or your concern is coming 100% in real time right now from whatever is going on inside of you. Yeah. Whatever you're thinking, you're feeling 100%. And you cannot know what I'm thinking or feeling or what your wife is thinking or feeling. (laughs) Okay, that's fair. 
This is very interesting. I know it's interesting. It's why <laughs> I thought we'd make it loud. I'm going to take my top off because I'm very hot. <laughs> okay. Embracing presence now. And now, and now feel into that heat because that, that is real. The heat is real. The rest of it is what you're making up. Okay. Good. In that case, what are the early trigger warnings that one should look for in order to become more self-aware? Because in my world, self-awareness is a starting point. If you don't understand, first of all, how you respond to context, and then how your outward projection is then received and reflected back, you become very inefficient as a human being, as a leader, as a manager, as a seller. What advice would you give um, to somebody like me who is struggling to uh, separate those? So when you you say separate, you refer to separate, just clarify for me, separate Uh, how you're projecting yourself. Yeah, to be able to uh, differentiate between what is being projected. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. All right. What is real? Right now, you and I are in the same conversation. We're talking about the same thing. And yet you have one complete experience going on inside of you, which might be, oh my God, where is this going? Which might be, yeah, she kind of has a point, which might be my wife is looking at me. Oh, I'm thinking about this idea I had earlier, what I have to do later. Uh, Yeah, what we're saying. And I'm having a completely different experience Mm -hmm. of sitting here, thinking, feeling, noticing, hearing voices outside my house. So what is real? I'm feeling what I'm thinking. You're feeling what you're thinking. Well, what is, is what's real. What our interpretation of it is, uh, is, is something completely different quite often. And what is, who, who, who can access what is objectively real if everybody is feeling whatever is inside of them? Have you ever had an experience outside of your own mind? No. So can you have objective experience? It's a very good question. Can you be objective? It's a very good question. Well, it's probably the strongest argument for diversity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Diversity is a fact of life. It's not something we need to force because it's a fact of life, whether we like it or not. Even if you have a team which have all similar types of people in it, um, there's going to be separate realities, moment to moment, eh? So this is another misunderstanding. The first misunderstanding is that there is an objective reality that we need to try and access. We've, we've got this objective reality. Sorry, we've got this, these separate realities. We're trying to access a sep- an objective reality. And then there are more misunderstandings, but I'll let you, I'll let you go on. No, no, go. Okay. I, I'm, I'm just waiting. I'm being okay. quiet. Okay, okay. It happen often. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Excellent. Okay. So... First of all, you the, the thing you just mentioned was that you were talking about self-awareness, self-awareness. So you're creating a separate self and then saying that you need to become aware of that self. What if there are not two of us? I don't understand. Yeah. So you're saying there is a self and then I need to become aware of that self. So if, you're, if there's self and then there's awareness, ah, okay. you're, you're creating two people. Where, where are those two people? Uh, right. I'd never seen that distinction before. Becoming aware of oneself is 
uh, different to uh, in my mind um, is to different to just uh, being. But being is a state of being there, whereas the awareness piece is where you're interpreting and you're putting layers of uh, and filters on. So the being is the objective, whereas the interpretation and our filters, our biases, all of that creates that layer of complexity. So I think where we're headed with this is how do we remove those layers of complexity? Well, actually, it's it's kind of it's a bit it's going a bit further than that. It's saying that whenever we're creating a self, that is also made of thought. When you say creating a self, is this what I would term identity? Yeah. So you were talking before, and this goes to the other misunderstanding that I was going to mention before, which is that we are fixed. There's a fixed me. So you were talking about how do I, you know, what's the difference between what I project out to other people? We've seen that in a conversation of five people, there are five separate realities going on. Okay. Mm -hmm. And now we can also see that if we're thinking about how do I project myself, that I is also coming to me through thoughts. So I can think something about myself. You can think something about me and it will be fleeting. It will be a fleeting thought as well. It's ne there's nothing fixed there. So we're trying, if we spend our whole lives trying to, was going back to my first point about becoming dependent on recognition and our whole lives become about forming a personality, forming an identity, as you're saying, protecting that identity, making sure that that person is recognized, that I do everything in the right way. That is what burns us out. And that is the misunderstanding because that identity has always been created through thought. If you go back to look at when you were a baby, like you might not be able to remember it, but you might have had access to babies. Just think of a baby and how in those first few months, they're not even aware that they're separate from their mothers. Like there's, there's just experience yeah. happening. That is the natural state. There's no self, there's no identity, there's no personality. There's what am I, the baby's not thinking, what am I projecting? How's, that, how's this person feeling about what I'm projecting? That is the natural state. Same as animals. But then we start to learn language. We start to think. Things start to get very complicated. We create this beautiful, complex world, which is useful when it's useful. It's useful for doing business. It's useful for selling. It's useful for having ideas. We can have a lot of fun. And we use it against ourselves because we start to believe the character too much. We use all of our mental energy to try and understand and control the world and understand and control ourselves when actually all of that is the creative energy of thought. And there is no fixed you, fixed Marcus or fixed Emma. Okay. So how do we use that information to advance or to uh, be more ha uh, comfortable in the moment? Well, what's it bringing up for you right now to begin with? I mean, is it something you're saying, yeah, I get it? Or is it like, yeah, I'm not really sure? Because we can only really work with what's here right now. So I'd, I'd like to see what it evokes in you it being the idea that you don't exist as as a character of marcus confusion really i mean yeah. I, I, my experience is that i i exist um i i may be um you know just a and massive on, on a giant thumbnail um or, or an atom in a giant thumbnail uh, at the end of the day but my experience of reality of being of is through experience. 
people. It's what the brain filters through the five senses or six senses. Right now, how do you how do you know that you're alive? I'm breathing. I'm awake. I'm conscious. I'm sentient. Yeah. Well, I can feel stuff. I mean, I can feel cool. better under my back. I can feel stuff in my mouth. I can feel an itch in my ear. So yeah. I'm guessing th- those are all clues to my reality. I'm not sure. Is that what you were looking for? I'm not looking for anything. I'm just curious ah. to see what you came up with. And it's, it's interesting to see that everything you said have been things which are happening right now and are describing reality or the closest that we can get to reality, which is what is occurring right now. And you didn't say, oh, I know I'm alive because I can see myself, you know, I'm Marcus and I'm, you didn't talk about your past. You didn't talk about your future. You didn't talk about your, who you are. Okay. So, so yes, you exist. I exist. Just not as we think we do. And we suffer because of the way we think we exist. We suffer because we spend our whole time trying to defend the identity, the character or whatever it is you want to call it. Okay, so that that now I get where we're headed. And certainly in my experience, that's very much uh, in line with what happens if you show up and your intent is selfish, if your intent is to try and convince, coerce, pressure. The other person will pick up on that because um, yeah. you're not going to fight three billion years of evolutionary hardwiring, no matter how good you think you are. And there will be an interplay between two human beings. So one of the reasons why I'm so fond of transactional analysis is that um, it breaks communication down into unit transactional units. So you say something and the, then I receive it. How I then interpret it uh, is that that unit of that transaction of communication. And then my response is another unit of communication. Those two form a component communication. So you start building communication up like that we start dissecting our communication, so much of it is around status management. So much of it is around protecting our fragile, brittle egos. And so one of the most liberating models that I ever came across was the winner's triangle. Instead of the drama triangle, the victim, the persecutor, and the rescuer, the winner's triangle is about being vulnerable. It's about being nurturing, empathic, caring, and assertive. The net result of that is, is it gives you Teflon armor because you don't get sucked into the psychological gameplay. And I think very often burnout, conflict, needless conflict is caused by our inability to distance ourselves from what we want. Albert Ellis has got a lovely way of describing emotional disturbance. So in terms of the circumstances, I must get what I want when I want it. And I must not get what I don't want. Yeah, but this is coming from the misunderstanding again, because if we think we are this defenseless character, we have to get what we want, because otherwise we think our survival is dependent on it. It's not seeing the reality of who we really are. Absolutely. So if I don't get what I want, I can't stand it. And other people must treat me fairly and kindly. And if they don't, they're no good and deserve to be condemned and punished. And I must do well or else I am no good. Yeah. All of this, these layers of pressure, they're everywhere. They're from family and friends. They're self-inflicted. They're from work. What what is it the work you do does in order to help people to be able to step back from that and maybe look at uh, life through a realistic lens? Yeah, the first thing, the most important is for the mind to start to quieten down. 
because as long as we're looking at the same models, the same thoughts we've had up until now, the same ways of viewing things, there's not going to be space for anything fresh in there. And fresh is what comes to you, Marcus, when you're in those moments of, you know, all these ideas that come to you. Although you then go and compare it to Aristotle and say, it's not fresh, it's fresh because it's come to you from you don't know where, right? So the first thing is, you know, I can't remember who it was who said, but the the way to to find the truth isn't to search for the truth, but to just stop cherishing all the ideas you have about everything. (laughs) Attachment's the, um, the killer. In my experience, I mean, um, uh, who was it? It was Mark Goulston uh, taught me this and he said, let go or be dragged. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let go, let go or be dragged because if we, if, if you don't let go and we try and hold on to all the old tools and techniques and models and ways of thinking about things, cause we're, we don't really trust in what will happen when we let go, then eventually we're dragged by life, by a burnout, for example, or by some so, sort of life circumstance. Yeah. So this seems to speak to the Buddhist philosophy that um all misery comes from attachment yeah all and i would have a slight variation on that which is yeah absolutely but why do we get attached to things why do we get attached to outcomes why do we get attached to ideas about ourselves about our past and about our future because yeah because we genuinely think that life is coming to us two things we think that life is coming to us from the outside so what happens to us is going to determine our well-being completely false and our suffering, because our suffering is always coming from the inside. It's coming from whatever is being created in our consciousness. The pain is inevitable. The suffering is optional. That's another Buddhist expression. Exactly. Um, Of course, there'll be, and and what I'm talking about here, this understanding isn't about stopping feeling. In fact, it's quite the opposite. I think on the, on the winner's triangle, you mentioned about feeling vulnerable. And actually when you start to understand that, okay, all of my experience is coming from the inside, then I can actually I don't have to be afraid of feeling anything. You know, I can walk into a conversation, feel a bit confused or feel a bit nervous or go into a sales meeting and not really know, but it's in the not knowing that the good stuff comes in. I, I, don't, I don't have to be afraid. I can, I can feel and, and, and by feeling, I'm being more authentic and I'm going to connect better in any sales meeting or any, any business meeting. And um, I'm going to get better results without a doubt. And I'm also not going to be kept up awake at night because if I'm going through something difficult, if I'm going through a painful experience or I'm having, you know, relationship problems or whatever, I know it's going to work out. So, so the first part is seeing that everything's coming from the inside and the second part. And, and that means that I can then really get curious about what is going on inside of me. Like we were doing before when I said, okay, what's happening? You said, oh, I'm a bit confused. When I get curious about what's there, then I can see something new. And knowing that actually I'm not broken. I don't need to work really hard in order to have mental health, in order to learn all these skills and tools and techniques so that my my conversations go well with people. I just need to get back to that natural self, which is the self when I am present and when I do let go of all my busy, my busy, 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 busyness. Okay. So (laughs) idle hands make work for the devil. So when you do free up this time, this space, how do you prevent yourself from relapsing without forcing it? Well, you don't need to prevent yourself from relapsing. I mean, what do you mean when you say relapsing? I mean, going back into your old habits. I mean, the, the idea is that we're 
than being present and we're slowing things down. Yeah. Yeah. And we've got all that space. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the space is where everything comes from. So even when you're relapsing, as you say it, that is still coming from the space. Even when you're back into old habits, that's still coming from the space. And the thing about old habits is they've always got something a bit new mixed in with them. Because instead of looking at our lives as, okay, this is my life. I had this habit, past, future. This is about, in the moment, leaving the past and future behind and looking at what is here right now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there might be something which, ah, what's this? And you can go into it and move on from there. But if we're constantly think looking at the past and comparing to the past, then we're going to stay in the past. Okay. Often in my work, I come across people who struggle to be in the present because they're so stuck in their vision of the future. Yeah. And again, that can be just as problematic. So where I see a common theme is people's perception of what they can do with the time they have available to them. So I I interviewed a client who's got a massive job. She's running the channel for a very large software company for all of Europe, Middle East and Africa. She's got two toddlers and she does her job successfully in eight hours a day. Now, most executives would rip their arm off to do what she does, but they can't. And they're so busy, 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 worrying about what's coming next and firefighting. Yeah. And largely it's down, in my experience, to a misunderstanding of time and timings. They don't use time to their advantage. They try and fight it instead of using time positively. Let's explore that a little bit because I'd love your take on it. Yeah, I think there's often a lot more thinking about time than there is getting on and doing what needs to be done. That for starters. Yeah, I mean, we've grown up in a culture, again, going back to this outside in misunderstanding. We're also taught from a very young age that in order to be the successful identity character, we need to make the most of time. So there is an obsession with time in this culture. So people will just think, how can I, you know, and there's more thinking than there is actually, you know, using the time itself. Then there's people walking around with very busy minds because they're in panic mode the whole time, defense, worrying about the future, thinking about the past, not realizing that it's all coming from their own thinking, that they're actually, they've got their resilience, they've got their well-being on the inside, they've got their clarity. When we don't realize that, we do overthink and we spend most of our time up in our heads. When we're up in our heads, it's very difficult to be practical to be practical and organized and know what is important and what is not important. And we get in a mess. Right. So by up in our heads, we're talking about the noise, the busyness, the clutter, the lack of focus. The Absolutely. Uh, yeah. But again, I think emotions like guilt, worthiness or yeah. unworthiness, a sense of you're wasting time. Because I, I think one of the biggest myths is time management. You can't manage time. Time is going to happen whether you like it or not. Yeah. And it will continue to happen at its own pace. What you can do is you can manage your behavior within the time that you're awake. That's it. You can manage your behavior. However, you can create a model for managing your behavior. And actually, one day you wake up and you've got a lot less energy and that model is not going to work. Or one day you wake up and you've got a lot of energy. You've got a very free mind. We can use the the metaphor of like bandwidth. You've got a lot of bandwidth. And okay, I can get more done today because I've got more bandwidth. And then you will you will behave differently. But if you start to 
become more aware about how your mind and body works, your mind body, as I call it, then you can listen to its wisdom in the moment and make the best decisions. The thing about models and behavioral models is one, they don't always work. And two, it's making minds busier because I have to do this. I have to follow my morning routine or I have to da, 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 da. And it's not recognizing the, the, our true nature, which is actually the wisdom and the clarity. And the, you know, it's all so much simpler than the way we live and the way we work. Okay. So why don't we do this slightly differently again? Why don't you lead with what you consider to be um, the ideal simple model? And then we can see uh, the layers of clutter that we've thrown on top. So I'm not really talking about a model. You're looking for a model because that's what you know and that's what you like. Okay, that's my that's my frame of reference. So yeah. what, what would you call it instead? The reason I call that out, it doesn't matter what we call it. We can call it a model. But the reason I do that is because that's what isn't working in terms of most people are trying to, as you said before, manage themselves, manage their time through the application of models, through the application of tools, through the application of techniques. And actually... It might work for a while um, and then sort of people are back to, to always or it's giving them more stress. People are running around stressed, even though they're trying to do the perfect exercise routines, the perfect management of their day, all of this, that and the other, remembering what they need to remember in their sales meetings. People might be getting, be getting through, but they're also getting very stressed and, and burning out. So this is, this is sort of the point of um, departure. It's bringing it back again to understanding how we work and starting from there and slowing it down and saying, okay, at the moment I'm living my life by rules that I'm inventing for myself, even though I might have, you know, learned them from society or I might learn them from articles that I read on LinkedIn. I'm living a life by rules and regulations because I'm scared out of my wits that I'm not going to be successful or I'm not going to make this sale or I'm going to burn out or this, that. So I'm living in a life of fear. This is why a lot of people that I work with will come to me and they'll be, they'll have lost all their energy, they'll have lost all their spark, they'll feel a little bit dead inside. That's the first point. And it's like, okay, we know this is natural. So deep down, we know that that is not, that's not life. If you look back to when you were a child, you look back to when you were a little child, at least for, for everyone. We live in fun, play, learning. You're talking about how much you love learning. Like that's natural to us. So we know this is not natural. So the first point of call has got to be recognizing this isn't how I want to live anymore. This isn't how I want to live and work. It's not effective. And recognizing that there's another way. And then starting to look at, okay, so similarly to how I asked you at the beginning of this conversation, when are those moments where I am more effective and what's the difference? So you said, Marcus, that you're more effective in your coaching conversations. That's when you're fully present. So it's like, what is the difference there? Okay. Let's, let's, let's do this. What is the difference there, really? The, the difference there is I'm in a domain that I feel like I've got some level of mastery and practice in. So I'm prepared. I'm genuinely curious. I mean, people's stories fascinate me. I love working with people to get them to a point where they can work it out for themselves, where they can do it for themselves. Yeah. And when the light bulb goes off in them, that's my happy type, happy place. When they report back how they've used what I've taught them or the work that we've planned or we've rehearsed or co-developed and it's given them the result that they wanted, but also the certainty that they can do it again and again and again at will. 
Yeah. Because most people don't have agency and we have a tendency to abdicate it and conform, follow rules, fit in. Yeah. And that often then results in our true nature not being satisfied. So when I'm in a coaching session and I'm doing really good work, the ideas are coming to me, the other person is making progress, then they get it and they take it into another area. And my favorite point, uh, favorite time, is where they take it into a direction I've never thought of before and I learn something. Yeah, yeah. amazing, yes. isn't it? It's really, it's really, really cool. And yeah. uh, what, what you're really doing, essentially, is you're sitting there with those people in your true nature. Like you're not, you're not anywhere else. You're completely, yeah. you are just expressing whatever it is we are, consciousness, in the moment, everything's coming out. And you're then igniting that in them, which allows them to have their own epiphany moments. And for then the like magic of life to go on and take it to be something which you had never even imagined it could go on to be in the beginning right so that is seeing how life works that that how really what has got our back what has got our back is that intelligence that is in you that is also in your clients moment to moment and when you're completely there so you said you you're curious you you know you feel connected to the person the magic of when they have these moments that's what happens and it's no more complicated than that and it's the same in any type of conversation. So if we were to extrapolate this to the people listening in, in a sales conversation, it's exactly the same thing. Go into that conversation with absolute curiosity and you are 100% there. And you know that if it's not your case, Marcus, because when you're in the coaching sessions, you said you feel you've done it a lot. So you feel you don't have those insecure thoughts or anything. But you, but you might have thoughts about, oh, is she th- like you said to me before, is she thinking this because she's rubbing her leg, which might not be helpful. Yeah. It might not be helpful at all. So, so, so when people go into those conversations and they have those thoughts, knowing that that's coming from inside of them, knowing that if they're feeling nervous, that's also coming from inside of them and that they're who they really are, the consciousness that they, who, who, that they are has got their back. That's what happens. So then if you extrapolate that to any other moment, it could, bringing it back to you, Marcus, in your life, how would it be if you were in the other moments of your life, just with curiosity and waiting for the magic to happen like it does when well, I think part of the problem is that I'm constantly curious and <laughs> therein lies the difference because it's tiring for everyone else yeah well I, I genuinely I, I mean I wake up at ungodly o'clock and within seconds my mind is worrying it's thinking about uh, yeah. an interesting question then it just keeps going all day it's just it's constant I've, I've habituated my brain into uh, constantly behaving this way when you say it's constantly worrying is it always ideas or is it worrying about other stuff too mostly it's ideas questions or something that uh, often it's stuff that I've forgotten to do because I don't write stuff down and I'm not terribly well organized but 90% of the time it's just oh I wonder what I just want to look something up or something will come up on the tv or on the radio or in the conversation and it'll trigger a thought and i want to go off and explore it mm. yeah I, i'm not sure how much of a problem it really is that's but, what i but, that's what i'm because it doesn't sound like to you it is and the only thing so there's there's two things really i mean yeah it sounds like 
there is an excess of thinking sometimes for you because otherwise you wouldn't keep saying this thing about worrying. So there is that experience. And then I would encourage you to get curious about that when it's happening. If you, you love curiosity. Mm. So if you apply that curiosity to like, okay, what is going on in my mind body right now? You will probably see that you don't need quite so much worrying. You really don't. You're going to keep having the great ideas. You're going to be able to spend more time with some people without your phone because you can get curious about that's like being with another person, like how, you know, expanding the curiosity to, okay, what's real in this moment? You've got a very rich conceptual world, which is amazing because that's part of our absolute gift as human beings. However, we can abuse that conceptual world, go too much that way. And then we're missing out on what is real and physical and right here, right now. Right. Yeah. Because what I've realized over the years is I've spent so much of my time in my head and the rest of my life is pretty much devoid of any activity. I mean, I've got no social life. I don't really do things. I don't. My, my hobby is playing in other people's brains. Um, it, it's just a fabulous place and it's endless. I think I, I probably feel a bit like that Korean couple that neglected their child because they were playing games. It, it kind of feels like I'm on the precipice of that sometimes. I, I, yeah, yeah, I get that. How how does that feel when you say that out loud? It feels slightly sad and unbalanced, really. Um, it must make me quite a dullard and certainly overwhelming. I can see why uh, people wouldn't want to spend time um, for lengths of time with me because it must just be tiring. Do you, can, do you have experiences where you do spend time with people and it is really fulfilling. It's really yeah. yeah. I, I, well, I mean, I do in my work. I do, and uh, but I, I, I mean, outside outside of work as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah when really. when we go out and we uh, socialise, and uh, you know, on the odd occasions when we do that, you know, we went and saw some friends down in Devon. That was lovely, and we had a great old time. We just laughed and laughed and laughed, and the time flipped. Yeah, I, I can do that. I don't make enough time for that. That's clearly one of the things that I need to do. So the lack of discipline in terms of setting time aside for these other things. Well, it sounds to me like that's your comfort zone, isn't it? The sitting around and the curiosity and and, uh, all of that's your comfort zone. And actually being with people, you have times where you really enjoy that. So you do want to do that, but you're Mm -hmm. automatically trying to turn it into a rule for yourself. You're, You're trying to make yourself feel bad so that you go out and do it. And that's a very common human response is that we try and make ourselves feel bad and because we think it's going to change our behavior but all it does is make us feel a bit obsessed about it feel worse about it and kind of put it push it to one side interesting okay it's catholic education clearly absolutely yeah that's right okay T- tell me this then because the whole piece about calibration of your feelings is very important for decision making in particular if you learn to calibrate how you feel as you're going into making a decision, when you've made the decision, once you've made it, and when you think about the after effects of the decision, it's very, very powerful because I think one of the things that all salespeople need to get good at is making decisions. Yeah. Because if you can make decisions, then you can help other people to make decisions too. Yeah. And the calibration piece, the physiological calibration is really important because your gut is the root of your brain. For those of you who haven't listened to or read Bruce Lipton's work, there's some really interesting stuff 
around the biology of emotion and how our emotions drive everything. I would also read, um, what was the name, uh, Suzanne, what's the name of that author who did the body language book? Lisa Feldman Barrett. Her stuff's really worth a read for those of you listening. Can you recommend some other useful material that people can maybe immerse themselves in, in terms of podcast books, events? Yeah, I'm listening to a really a podcast I love at the moment. It's by a coach called Dr. Amy Johnson, and she specializes in habits and anxiety. So she talks a lot about feelings and it's, it's not, I mean, yeah, because our habit is to do things automatically. It doesn't matter if you have anxiety or you don't have anxiety. You may have it, you may not. But the way she talks about it, I really like because she encourages you really to look at what the feeling is. And, you know, often we, we get too used to, oh, well, if I feel like it, I'll do it. And if I don't feel like it, I won't do it. And we're too led by our feelings, right? We don't want to be led by our moment to moment feelings. We want to be aware of the deeper feeling, like the deeper, the deeper compass of like, okay, I'm going to go for this. I'm going to go for this. I'm going to say this. I'm going to decide this. That's what we want to be following. We don't want to be too like, oh, I'm feeling tired. So I won't, you know, sometimes it's useful. Sometimes we can say, okay, my head's a bit busier today. I might postpone that important conversation till, you know, a little bit later, but we can't always do that, can we? So she encourages people to really, in the moment, to get curious about the, what the emotion is, what the feeling is, and just kind of experience it as energy. And I mean, I, this is what I teach myself as well, but I love the way she's got some really interesting interviews. And um, to come outside of the story that you're telling yourself, because the story is just your thinking. You might be, you know, like worrying about what's going to happen in the meeting. You might be thinking, oh God, I should have done this. So coming out of the story, going into the feeling, and then from there, finding clarity, being able to really listen to your wisdom rather than to your, your, you know, your overthinking or to get, let the feeling itself paralyze you. Cause it's usually the feelings that make us stay in a habit. Okay. So one thing that I've learned the hard way is ambiguity is the mother of all fuck ups. Um, and it tends to lead to mismatched expectations, disappointment, confusion, politics. Yeah. What advice would you give to someone to try and find that clarity within themselves? If they're feeling confused or they're feeling ambiguous. Yeah. The first thing is to get quiet. Okay. So if you've got a busy mind, you're not, you can't come out of confusion by thinking more about it. Might sound really basic, but I used to do that before I came across this understanding. Um, Even when I was meditating, I used to go on long walks to think about something, to make a decision. Uh, That never works. So you'll find, I mean, think about when you get your best ideas, for example. We talked a lot about it already in this conversation, but when you have those moments of inspiration, it tends to be when you're not going over it in your mind anymore. So if you're in the confusion, you've got to come out of it temporarily at least. And then really just really, really deeply listen to what's going to come to you. And then trust, you know, you said before, let go or be dragged. Let go and trust because you you can't know the future. Impossible. Anyway, the future is always going to be whatever you're feeling in the future is going to come from whatever you're thinking. So we're often afraid of a future feeling. If we start to lose the fear of feeling, we lose the fear of consequences. And then you can, you can think clearer then. You think, oh no, if I lose the fear of consequences, it's the Catholic thing again. I'm going to behave irrationally. I'm going to do it's absolute opposite. You've got more clarity to actually 
focus on what needs to be focused on. You've taken you out of it. You've taken your the consequences for you, your identity, and you can focus on what's in front of you. Let's come back then to um, the question of identity versus role. More often than not, I see people using extrinsic markers to judge themselves. Yeah. And that's incredibly debilitating, especially in a down economy where the markers are going to be harder to generate. If you're, how you feel about who you are is tied to your performance in role as a seller, a leader, a manager, a mother, a father, a son, a daughter, whatever, um, then you're going to find that your internal voice is probably going to be giving you quite a lot of grief. That's exactly right. Yeah. Right. And then you're not going to be able to think clearly to be able to change anything about your your current circumstances. This is okay. sort of the paradox. So how does one quell and enlist the voice? Because calming it is one thing, but then turning it into your ally is another. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, the first thing is to lose the fear of the voice. Because if we start to think, I mean, and this is speaks to the culture we have at the moment in the personal development world and psychology of like positive thinking, negative thinking, this belief is helpful, this belief is not helpful. We start to become very like, you know, really tensing up in order to control the content of our own minds, which is counterproductive because we're doing more work, we're using more energy. You know, it's just, just going in the wrong direction. So we want to firstly lose the fear of any voice. Know that, okay, my experience is being created from the inside. I am feeling my thinking. Whatever is going on inside of me, in the whole of me, in my consciousness, is going to be what I'm experiencing. Okay. What else is true about consciousness or the power of thought? It's constantly changing. It's creative. So we're going to be given something new in a minute. We just hang out for a second. It's coming. So we don't need to be like, oh my God, I'm having this thought. You know, people for it, this is, I don't know where this example came from, but people who have suicidal thoughts, for example, if they can just see that as, oh, you know, there's another random thought that pops into my head. You know, you might suddenly be sitting, walking down the street and think of monkeys or something. You're like, where did that thought come from? Or you have, you walk off over a bridge and you think about jumping over it or something. It's just a, a random thought. But as soon as you start thinking, oh my God, that thought is dangerous. This means about me that I don't want to live anymore. That's when we start to create problems for ourselves. Interesting. Okay. The challenge that I see in many organizations and for the individual is that there are so many pressures coming from targets managers uh, your own reports and the middle management layer are the ones i want to focus on because they're the ones who have the most precarious role yes they're more often than not poorly or not trained at all because someone taps them on the shoulder and says, Emma, bad news, we've just fired your idiot boss, congratulations, you're now the (laughs) boss, off you go. Yeah, Um, And that's their runway. Because they're accidental managers, and they have seven to eight direct reports on average, they can come unstuck from above, below the customers, they can be sued, they can get in trouble with HR. I imagine those people are really having a hard time. They've just gone through the pandemic. The way of working has changed and they don't have control. Um, And everything about business and the systems that we have is all about trying to control things. 
you know, CRM systems are really audit tools. They're not to, there to help salespeople. Um, and uh, managers think their job is to supervise and control things and manage things. Whereas actually, when we get out of the way and we encourage people and we create the conditions where they can do their best work, where they can think freely, where they can cooperate with one another, we get an awful lot done. What advice would you give to managers going into the next few years, which if the pundits are correct, will vary from being bad to pretty damn atrocious for about eight years? It's a tough time that we're heading into. And how we choose to respond to it and how we prepare for it will define the results that we get and our experience. So what advice would you give to the middle managers? Yeah, and it's interesting as well because there there is a response and there's also a creation. If we're already creating it in our minds as it's going to be a tough time, uh, that's going to be what's going to be in front of us (laughs) a lot of the time. So we need to be a bit careful about how we're, or not careful because we don't determine it, but aware of how we're creating reality. Uh, Because as you know, the old cliche, right? Crisis is also an opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So well, if, if everyone is going to go through the same context, how they interpret it will be different. Exactly. And on a on a sort of a real moment to moment level, that context, as we said before, cannot be felt objectively by anyone. So all you're having is your moment to moment experience. If in your moment to moment experience you have very present, this is a tough time. You know, you were talking about the um, the winners triangle and the victim triangle. Oh, I've got this tough time, and this has happened to me, and now look what I have to deal with. You know, that is going to be what happens. That's going to be what you're going to see. Now, I'm not talking about positive thinking or avoiding reality, but actually being curious in the moment about, okay, what is real right here, right now? If here right now I'm sitting with my team in front of me, like you do in your coaching sessions, what through curiosity and through igniting the, as you were talking about, the potential in each of these people, what can we be capable of creating? which then means that I'm not running around the whole day trying to do too much because you can only do what you can do. And being assertive, you've got to be assertive in these times as well. Have clarity and and learn to say no and learn to delegate and learn to outsource and all of that stuff that we've always known is more important than ever now. Absolutely. Emma, we've come to time. What one bit of advice would you have whispered in the ear of the idiot Emma, age 23, that she would undoubtedly have ignored but would have benefited from? Ah, such a good question. Mm. 23 years old, definitely, you know, stop worrying so much. Um, Trust in who you really are because it's not who you think you are. Okay. And what was your best mistake? My best mistake. That's a very good question. What was my best mistake? I've never been asked that question before. What mistake did you learn the most from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like the best mistake. It's good. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know right now. Okay, yeah, I could sort of going, going back to the past, I suppose. It would be when I had, when I was a child and I had some anxiety issues 
related to a series of things. And going into the work that I did with psychologists, really going into going over the past and going over, like getting really deep into the analysis and thinking that I had to find a solution for that in order to be okay. So I, I guess the mistake came from an innocent misunderstanding that I was already okay on the inside. And because I didn't know that at the time, I that's what brought me to all of this. Then later on, really finding, searching for that, finding that, and then being able to share that with other people who, who discover it at various points in their life. We already know it on the inside, but when we really know it, it can happen at any age. And people always say, oh, I wish I knew earlier because I would have lived my life in a different way. Well, we can't because it's all the intelligence of life that's just manifesting in the way it has to manifest. Excellent. Emma Claire Davis, thank you. Thank you very much, Marcus. How can people get hold of you? They can contact me on my website, coachingtoreconnect.com, or they can contact me on LinkedIn. Talk to me about these retreats. What do you do there? Yep. So the retreats are for business leaders and founders who are overly stressed. Maybe as you were saying yourself earlier, Marcus, haven't got so much of a social life at the moment, or they feel that they're low on energy, or they feel stuck, they feel confused, they're suffering and they want to find clarity, they want to come back to peace of mind, they want to get their spark back. On our last retreat we did in September, for example, we had a business founder who's one of your students, Marcus, as well. And um, he cried for the first time in 20 years and then has been has let go of a lot of emotions and is feeling in a lot better place with himself and his business. We've got someone else who came on who's the owner of a 60-people agency, um, had a profound experience. And although he's had a really hard couple of months, um, says it's been his best few months for mental health um, and he's just experiencing a lot more peace in relation to everything and clarity in terms of his decision making. So this is what we do with people and we've got one coming up in February in Marbella and we've got three or four coming up in Norfolk in England uh, next year. So there's a few places left on the Spanish one if people would like to come to Spain, sunny Spain, which is where I live. Olé. Um, yeah. There you go. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you, Marcus. It's been a great pleasure. So this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you found this useful and insightful, then please like, comment, share, and subscribe. And please tag someone or share it with them if you think that Emma or I might be able to help. Now, if you're an executive and you really want to be provoked to realize the impact you're having on others and cut out unnecessary friction, you get to work faster and do less work. So I have um, a head of channel for a large software company who's working only eight hours a day and absolutely crushing her uh, objectives. So if you're looking for that kind of one-on-one -on -one personalized guidance, then drop me a line. We can arrange to meet up over Zoom. And if there is a fit, then we can take it further. If not, I'll refer you to someone else who can help. Maybe Emma, maybe someone else. In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.